Hi there, and welcome to the Rashcast with Jake and John. I'm Jake, and I'm John. So uh, the last time we talked to you, there was hope, and now all hope is dead, uh, and life is meaningless. Was this the worst so, month of Nashville's uh, history? Do you think? Well, so by record, it was not. This was the worst month in Nat's history since June 2010. But in June 2010, we had Steven Strasberg throw mm-hmm. Strasmus. Uh, so there was hope for the franchise in the future. Now, hope is dead. Uh, life is pointless. Uh, the Nats went 8-18 eight and 18 since we last podcasted, which is at the end of the month of June, where things looked hopeful and meaningful. And, and then, literally uh, the next day, Cal Schwarber like blew yes. out his leg. The, the day out, we, we last did a podcast on the day of the Rays, uh, the end of the Rays series when uh, life was good and now it's bad. And uh, anyway, uh, I'm now going to introduce our special guest. He once worked at a website and then he worked at a different website and now he doesn't work for any website. Uh, it's the guy you know and love. It's Andrew Flax. No website is my master. <laughs> he cannot be contained by one website. Except for Twitter, which I think it's fair to say is. Yes. No, I mean, Twitter controls all of our lives. Uh, well, it's a pleasure to be on. Thank you both for having me. I, um, in, in the spirit of contention being dead, it seems that I am its undertaker, and I am here to uh, talk, talk about what happens after death. Yeah, yes. you're, you're, you're you like a ferryman. I was our grief uh, counselor. No, what's the... Ah, oh, God. Who ferries you across the river, sticks? I don't know how to, I know how to spell it. I don't know how to pronounce it. Okay, Carol. spell it. Oh, it's uh, right. C-H-A-R-O-N. Do not at me if I have pronounced this correct, incorrectly. There we go. So, Andrew Sharon Flax. I was hoping to do a bit about, like, I'm being Andrew Rash or something, but I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> land. You guys you didn't. couldn't think of something? We were too fast? Yeah, I know. That's fine. Anyway, uh, so, you know, uh, depressing uh, monologue aside, um, the Nats, obviously, they went 8 and 18 in the month of July. Mike Rizzo looked at the team. He looked at the fact that the Nats were, I mean, still, you know, seven games out of a playoff spot, which is not an obscene amount, three games ahead of them, uh, playing absolutely terribly with a roster that had one functional pitcher two to four functional hitters and maybe three relievers one of whom was non-functioning uh at the moment and he said i can't fix this and so he decided not to try and he traded everyone you ever loved away to other teams and john millennials he didn't want to try when it got hard he just gave up yeah, That's exactly right. Embarrassing. Mike Rizzo, classic millennial. It is very funny to think how if there are like two or three leads that they hadn't blown, they would have probably bought a little bit, maybe like three games out right now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, just in the last two weeks, if they hadn't blown the seven nothing lead game, mm-hmm. and they hadn't blown the three other games where Brad Hand pitched and blew the lead, uh, they would have been three and a half games back. They would have been in second place. And even Mike Rizzo looking at this roster and saying, Jesus Christ, this roster sucks shit. Like, I don't think he could have sold a sell. Not to the learners. He he was correct. In in Ryan Zimmerman's words, this was the right move. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I don't think, I think we all agree on that part, at least, that this was needed to happen. You know, Rizzo is right. This team is not good. I mean, (laughs) it's just not good. Straight up is bad. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm coughing. Um, yes. don't edit that out though, it's authentic. Uh huh. This is all live to edit. This is there's no, yeah, uh, absolutely yeah. no editing here. No oh, editing, yeah. it's too much to work, but anyway, this was, I mean, it was a difficult day and a half of uh trade rumors and then trades happening. You know, I think definitely the hardest trade was the biggest trade. Uh, Max Scherzer and Trey Turner going to the Dodgers for Josiah Gray 
Kieber, are we going to do this thing where, where Flax tries to yes, get Yes, don't, yeah, don't okay, tell so Flax wanna, anything. What yeah. I want to do here is I want to see if I can remember every trade and who they got for them. All right. So, so then first, let's go with that. Let's, let's go back in order. So the first trade was Brad Hand. No, no, no. Why First, we're going to say the Nats traded away eight players and they yes. got 12 in return. If mm. Andrew Flax can name all 12 players, I will publicly disclaim my hatred for for prospects and become, well, I was going to say become a you prospect guy. prospects fully today. You're already in the tank. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing else to talk with- about. What do you want me to talk about? The fact that Yadiel Hernandez... Hit a walk-off home run today. That's my yes. shit. I love Yadiel Hernandez. The 33-year-old. Is the he next... only 33? Nice. Only 33. I mean, wow. by the standard of humanity, he's in the prime of his life. That's got to be like average first child age for an American man. So in some societal perspective, it's probably pretty young. Exactly. Yeah. But, okay. All right. Let me see if I can name all these trades and all their return. Okay. They trade away eight players. So... There, I'm going to list the trades first, and we'll right. go through the players. So the Scherzer-Turner trade, that's one. Hand, Hudson, Schwarber, uh, Gomes and Harrison, and Lester. That's six trades, eight players. Is that everybody? That's everybody. Yes. Okay, perfect. I'm going to forget them when I have to go through them now and say the return. Um, okay, so with the biggest trade, first, Scherzer and Turner for Kibut Ruiz, Josiah Gray, Gerardo Carrillo, and Donovan Casey. Sure. Um, that's the four. Next trade, Brad Hand for Riley Adams, obviously. Uh, Kyle Schwarber for Aldo Ramirez. Uh, I saw Heim Bloom at the airport and did not get a chance to ask him about Aldo Ramirez, though I wish I had. Should have gone uh, to the podcast. You are a producer. I should have. Uh, <laughs> I should have. Yeah, given a shout out. Our guest that. coordinator. Give it a listen. Uh-huh. Um, okay. Uh, I said Brett Hand. So Daniel Hudson was for Jordy Barley and Mason Thompson. Mm-hmm. Um, Lester was for Lane Thomas, not a prospect, does not count. Actually, maybe he still is. I'm not sure. He's 25. He's got options left. He counts. I think he, I think he hasn't exhausted his rookie eligibility, which is what matters. Right. And then I think the only trade I haven't said is the, the hardest one, um, which is the Gomes and Harrison trade for whom they got Drew Millis, Richard Gouache, and Seth Schumann. I'm going to take that, your word for it. That everybody? Did I miss any? No, that was 12. I don't, I don't know if Richard... That's the right 12. I remembered Richard Gouache because his name could sort of be spoonerized into my last name. Yes. Uh, Drew Millis and Seth Schumann were the other two. You got that right. Let's okay. go. America's there we go. Prospect boy is at it again. The prospect knower has logged on. Okay. So I think the first thing we have to talk about is obviously the biggest, most important trade, the John Lester trade. Now I feel bad that you made that joke because I was going to make it. I was about to make the same joke too. So <laughs> <laughs> I still like, you know, like Jesse Doggerty has been sort of marveling on Twitter. And obviously this show is mostly about things I see on Twitter. Uh, that sort of sets the agenda. Uh, but he's been marveling on Twitter about how they managed to get anything for John Lester. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, but four out of the five starters in the Cardinals rotation right now have fastballs under 90 miles an hour. And the only one with a fastball over 90 is Jay Happ, who's 37, and his fastball is 91 miles an hour. The man they call the Peruvian pea shooter. <laughs> they don't call what? him that, that up, but he is from like a town called Peru, I'm pretty sure. It's called Lima. I don't know. Lima, Ohio, right? Let's find out. Uh, keep talking. Yeah, I'm not um, vamping for you. We have to find this. I'll vamp. I'll vamp. I'm talking. Okay, he He's is from, from Peru, Illinois. Peru, Illinois. Peruvian pea shooter. That's there we go. Call. I mean, you know, we can call up Paul Sporer and see if we can get that officialized on Baseball Reference. I'll, I'll have my people call his people. Listen, if they got Trout to be called the Millville Meteor, I think you can manage Jay Half, the, P, uh, the Peruvian pea shooter. It's a good name. I like it. I'm cool but, with um, it. I, I liked, Jacob, back to the Lester trade. I liked your tweet that showed that Lester has been a much better hitter than Thomas this year. And also my retort that Thomas has been a much better pitcher than Lester. 
So if you, if you go by that sort of binary look, uh, it's actually a pretty even trade for both teams, which is really exciting. You know, you love when two teams needs match up in a way that helps them uh, both get closer to their goals. Yeah. The Nats got pitching help and the, uh, you know, the Cardinals added a power hitting lefty bat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Nationals got pitching help by replacing the worst pitcher on their team. It's true. You, if you take a pitcher with a below replacement level war and you replace him with a non pitcher, you've gotten pitching help. Uh-huh. With an empty roster spot, you simply forfeit the first six innings of every fifth game. I mean, that's basically what they were doing by rolling Lester out there, except that they were also burning the bullpen behind him. And Mike Rizzo has recognized that need, and he has taken decisive action, and that's why he's the best GM of all time. The best GM of all time. Okay, so now we're going to get to actually evaluating this deadline. Uh, First of all, what do you think of the return for the Scherzer-Turner deal. I know, it's, I know it's hard to say, and I know you can't really evaluate it in a vacuum because mm-hmm. the Nats had to find not only someone to take, like they got a better package for the two of them combined than they would have gotten individually. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the number of teams that would take both of them combined was limited to basically just the Dodgers. So there was no bidding war that you could create for a double package. Anyway, that's mm-hmm. me filling in what you might have been saying. Go ahead. No, so I, I think you're you're right. And I think the the analogy for this is like, you know, some piece of furniture that you've got that you're trying to get rid of. Like in, in one sense, you can look at market comparables and you can say, okay, you know, this is a three-year-old like dresser that I bought for $800. I should be able to get it at least, you know, 500 bucks for it. Um, and you can evaluate how well you do relative to some sort of internal benchmark of comparables. But the other way you can evaluate it is just by where you stand before and after. Like you can think about, you know, I used to have a dresser and now I have 300 bucks. The dresser had no value to me. So this is still a good deal. Um, I, I think the first lens is like you said, extremely hard to evaluate. First off, you can't even say what the, you know, inherent values of a guy like Ruiz or, or Gray is. Like everyone's been citing the the Baseball America up-to-date rankings where Ruiz is 16th in baseball, Gray is 59th. Uh, but if you look at fan graphs, which are also still, I think mostly updated as well, uh, Gray is ahead of Ruiz, but they're both in the top 40. And you know those differences in rankings can make a huge difference in your evaluation of the trade. So it's very hard to say, you know, inherently they got sufficient value for this guy. And so if you can say, did they get enough? You know, you can argue your, your head off about that all day. There's no truth to it. Um, for me, I think they did well. Uh, it's clear they loved Ruiz. In, in Jesse's story about the, uh, the trade, you know, Rizzo says, like, Ruiz was the guy we identified, and he, like, the goal of our deadline was to get him from the Dodgers. Uh, and if you really believe in him, and it's really easy to, uh, it's a great trade. Like, Ruiz is a contact and power hitting catcher. He's just turned 23. Um, he's in a pitcher friendly park in AAA. He's got like a 300 ISO. Uh, he strikes out less than 10% of the time or just about 10% and walks a similar rate. Like it, it's very easy to see how he could be an impact player. You know, there may be some questions about the glove. He, he's not exactly a great, um, base, you know, base running controlling kind of catcher. Um, he's not the best at blocking balls. He's got great hands. Like it's, it's very easy to see this guy become a like first division catcher, especially given the state of hitting among catchers in the majors right now. Uh, and that's not even to mention Gray, who you know could easily be a, a mid-rotation starter whose changeup lags behind his fastball and his slider, but who's only been pitching full-time for three years, and you can certainly see some upside with him. Um, so you know, you can argue as long as you want about what the dollar values of these guys is. Or, you know, if that's what you could have gotten for turn on the open market in a, a year where there's not, you know, a, a huge crop of free agent shortstop coming up. But from where I'm sitting, I think they've gotten, they got a really ta- a pal- talented package of players. And if they aren't going to contend next year, and if they weren't going to extend Trey, I think it's a great deal. So one thing I want to bring up with, with Josiah Gray, uh, who, by the way, goes by JoJo. That's our fun fact about Josiah Gray. And he's from New Rochelle, New York. Anyway. Uh, wow. I know. Uh, I don't know if there are any people who listen to this podcast and are from New Rochelle, New York. 
But if you are, there you go. Statistically uh, unlikely. Yeah, given the given the listenership. Given the listenership of this podcast. Right. Uh, the thing I want to mention about Gray, and it sort of ties into why the Nats had to rebuild. Josiah Gray, uh, the Dodgers got him in a as basically a throw-in in a trade for it was the the Matt Camp Yasiel Puig for a bunch of garbage, you know, Homer Bailey and then prospects. Like mm-hmm. they used assets uh, to identify prospects that they wanted and they flipped both downs and uh, now gray for major league talent, obviously downs. They flipped along with Verdugo from Mookie Betts gray. They flipped along with Ruiz for Turner and Scherzer. Uh, the reason I bring this up is because the Nats used to be a friend like the it's hard to compare any franchise to the Dodgers because the Dodgers are so incredibly well run. They're, you know, just like they draft well, they identify free agents well, they identify other, they're, they're great at evaluating other teams' talent. Like everything that everyone says about the Rays of the Astros is true in spades about the Dodgers. They are just, they're the best baseball organization. I mean, they, they also are extremely unethical and probably cheat a ton, but they're a very, very well-run baseball organization. But the reason that we've gotten to this point, uh, and this is sort of a meta commentary, not on, you know, why to rebuild or was a rebuild necessary now, but, you know, how we got to this point, the Nats have stopped, you know, a lot of the wells that the Nats used in the early days, even as they were still contending, to sort of reopen the window of contention and reset the cycle to, uh, you know, to get talent, they've sort of dried up. Uh, the Nats have hit a rough patch as far as free agents go, what with, you know, Strasburg dying of thoracic outlet syndrome and Patrick Corbin being too depressed about the election to, you know, throw any strikes. Um, but they've hit a rough patch with drafting. Uh, they've hit a rough patch with evaluating their own talent, which has led them to trade away some of their prospects that were talented players who flourished elsewhere. Uh, whereas in the early years, they were really good at evaluating their own players and didn't give up anyone that actually hurt them long-term. Uh, and they've stopped, you know, the. The major infusion of talent that saved them was was inserting themselves into the Will Myers trade, somehow coming away with Joe Ross and Trey Turner for Steven Souza. And they, they just sort of have stopped getting coops like that in trades. I don't really know if I have a point to this other than like the Nats, it's not necessarily inevitable that a team that competes for a long time has to rebuild. Uh, but you have to be really, really good. Uh, and sometimes you start getting unlucky and the window and margin for error is smaller. And then you end up in this position. Yeah. Which I, mean, I it, guess it, brings me to the next point. If Johnny, you want to take this, how do you evaluate Mike Rizzo uh, in light of this? And how do you feel about him being the guy to lead the rebuild? He's good. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, listen, when we won the world series in 2019, we were the oldest team in baseball. You know, it's not surprising that just two years later without an influx of young talent coming in, that this team did fall apart in the way that it did. You know, he tried to retool this year with Schwarber and bell and adding hand and adding a bunch of small pieces. And it didn't work because there was just too many holes from obviously from that 2019 team. And so Rizzo knows how to build a good team. Uh, he's not great at prospect of, uh, evaluation as we've seen over the last six years, which does have, give you some pause for a rebuild. But I think the one thing with Rizzo, and I think this is his MO and this might be a little bit optimist optimism is that he's never wanted to fully give up. And I think a lot of the discussion after this trade deadline is we'll be back. 2023 is our target year. Now 
you know, we'll be back contending, you know, we, this, he said, there's a quote, which is people bash this quote, but like, you know, this, the guys we're getting right now, are the guys who are going to be our next championship team. Um, so I think Rizzo to, to speed ahead of rebuild, you have to have enough aggression of signing free agents, you know, low fly. Look how the giants did it. Look how Far- Farhan Saudi did it. He got, yes, got lucky that his three old guys found somehow found the fountain of youth and just, got good again, but he also did it by taking flyers on Gossman and took a flyer on Discafani. And both those guys are now anchoring their rotation and they've led them to one of the best rotations in baseball now. So it's a combination of, you know, luck to speed up a rebuild and it is of being aggressive in free agency and taking flyers on guys. And even like signing a guy, you know, maybe a year or two before you're contending, like the Padres do with Machado, they jump the ship, they sign Machado. He's been the cornerstone of that, that, um, you know, that team now with Tatis and, and I mean, Hosmer was a, you know, not wasn't it for them. It can't all be winners. It can't all be winners, but you have to, in order to speed up a rebuild, you have to be aggressive. And I think Rizzo will be with the learn. I mean, it's all going to be what the learners want to do, but if, if Rizzo has his druthers, he's going to be the one to speed up that rebuild. And, and, and so, Andrew's talking about this, you know, it does all depend on what the learners want to do. Mm-hmm. So how are you feeling in terms of expectations of the learners being, you know, I mean, they, they've run payrolls that have been very competitive over the last five, six years. Do you think that Rizzo will be able to convince them to spend again? I, so, so, uh, so you're right. I think that is really the crux of, of what will determine if the nationals are competitive in the next few years or not. Like, I think the Nationals will probably do an average job of player development and, like, getting young talent. So, you know, I don't think they are superlative drafters. I don't think they're bad drafters. I think, you know, the current lack of depth is really a consequence of pushing their trade chips to the middle in a way they never did. You know, the Doolittle trade where they gave up Jesus Luzardo. Obviously, the Eaton trade where they gave up, um, you know, Dane Dunning and Lucas Gilito, both of whom are now good major league starters. Like, they never gave up guys like that before, even in the Geo trade. Uh, unless you really love Derek Norris, I but love Brad Peacock. Peacock was a Peacock was championship team apparently, and, and Peacock was a top thirty prospect the year that we gave him away. Yeah, they just, they, just we had such a deep system back then that it yeah. you know, didn't really yeah exactly they had they had depth back then they don't have now, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of that is just because they drafted really high because they were extremely shitty. Um, but you know, Peacock was a late round draft pick. I know. Anyway, um, I, I think that Rizzo has had said publicly time and time again, like I will not tolerate losing. I am not going to sit here and not feel a competitive team or like be working towards it quickly. And if you believe that and look at this roster right now and see, you know, the only player worth the shit in the entire organization is Juan Soto. So you need to optimize your timeline around him. I would be very surprised if they didn't spend soon. You have to think, okay, they've got a few guys who are worth something right now. Um, you have to hope that, I don't know, maybe Bell sticks around. You have to hope that of the minor leaguers, a few turn in something. Maybe maybe Cavalli comes up and has success. Maybe Garcia becomes a reliable second baseman. Maybe Ruiz becomes like a, you know, a, a substantial like middle of the order hitter. Um, you have to hope that happens. And if that happens, you have to believe that the, the learners will spend to support like Rizzo's vision. The alternative in my mind is that the learners, you know, have some change of heart and just decide not to spend and say, you know, those days have come and gone. Um, that feels- Commercial unlike- real estate has been in a bind the last couple of years. That's fair, but it's on the rebound. Um, but I think in that world, I think Mike Rizzo quits. I don't mm-hmm. think Mike Rizzo is GM anymore if the learners decide to cut payroll. I, I think the, like, the, the world that we should be afraid of is that the learners decide to take a like smaller market pivot and are suddenly running 120 million payrolls instead of 180 million and are hiring some GM to try to run them like the athletics. Right. Um, I mean, maybe that would be a good opportunity for them to overhaul their player development, which frankly is, I think, the thing they fall shortest on. Um, I think they can identify talent. I don't think they can make most of it. But I would be surprised if they went, they underwent a fundamental organizational shift. I think there's still enough hope in this organization, frankly, only in the form of Juan Soto, that you can build up your minors, see who comes up around him, and then spend to complement that. And with the willingness to learn we've had to spend, build a competitive team. Well, and I think this offseason, you know, Johnny talked about jumping the market by a year 
and signing free agents a year before you plan to contend. If there was ever an offseason where you would do that with a position player, you know, the Nets have never really spent Ryan Zimmerman aside any significant money on position players. Uh, if there was ever an offseason to have a change of heart there, it would be this one. There are so many free agent position players available. Um, there's obviously Baez, Story, Bryant. Uh, there's if you even even if you, I was looking at this the other day because I was talking to a friend of mine about this about you could even go for second tier talent. You could go after a guy like Simeon, Eduardo Escobar. You know, resign Kyle Schwarber. You know, you could go after a couple of mid tier guys and build yourself a deep lineup. This even this off season, if you're really trying to, you know, do that this year or do it next year. Um, like if if you got those three guys, you had Simeon to play short, Escobar to play third. You know, maybe Luis Garcia something Schwarber and left that fills in your lineup pretty well, and that's not going to cost you, you know, too too much money if you want to do that this year, this off season. And then you take, um, you take some, you know, flyers on some starting pitching, see what you have there, and run it back next year, see what happens. That's certainly an option if you don't even want to jump the market for a story, or a Correa or a Bias. Yeah, I think the, the way that I have positioned, the way that I have thought about it is, you know, if unless you want to bottom out next year, which I don't think they do, because I think you know you still got Soto, they still want to give run to these younger players. Um, the way to do it is to sign enough players to put yourself in a position to contend if things break right. That can be the goal for next season, even if you, uh, you know, even if you're at risk of of not be, you know, if, if you can't guarantee success in the way that you usually would. Now, I think you can take flyers on guys, maybe, maybe even like a Semyon has, has earned his way out of your pay grade, maybe even a Schwarber. But if you look at your team and you say, okay, we'll give Garcia some run. We'll give Kiboom if he doesn't, you know, if he, if he turns around this season, you, as earns a full season audition, you know, hopefully Bella's good. Hopefully Ruiz is good. You know, uh, Robles rebounds, you know, you can have, a major league spot, hopefully for a guy like Cavalli soon. If you if you start handing out those spots to guys who could be good and then fill in the rest with capable players, you give yourself a chance. Yeah, I mean, and, and you look at the state of the NL East, like not only are you not concerned for the present because this is just an absolute garbage fire of a season for the NL East, but you look at the farm systems of these teams and you look at the way, I mean, the Phillies are probably well behind the Nats now after the big trades developmentally. Uh, they, they really don't have anything in terms of prospects. The Braves are finally starting to sort of crest the wave of their prospects in the league. It's just, it's not, you know, what it was when it had Ronald Acuna in it and Ozzy Alves in it and Ian Anderson in it. Uh, I mean, I think they're probably best positioned for the future. The Marlins are the Marlins. They'll never spend. And then the Mets continue to beclown themselves on a daily basis because they've traded in one quirky billionaire idiot owner for another one. Uh, I mean, this division, you know, things can surprise you. The Braves certainly could continue building their dynasty. Uh, but you know, this division is going to be at least on paper wide open. Uh, and obviously you've got three years left of Soto. Uh, you would expect that if the Nats do a decent enough job, they'd be able to contend sometime within that three-year window. Uh, I think even if they don't do anything this offseason, if they decide to commit to the tank for 2022, if they manage to get Juan Soto re-signed to a long-term contract, which may not be a possibility because he is represented by Boris. Uh, the market has been set at a number that is, you know, probably will take over a $400 million contract to get a deal done. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if the learners are willing to go that far into their pockets. Um, but if they manage to do that and nothing else, it would be a successful offseason. Um, what? Oh, I, I was just saying, absolutely. I think, you know, if, if a long-term deal for Soto came to fruition this offseason and they did nothing else, 
and they were running out Andrew Stevenson in left field every day next season, I think we'd all still be happy. But that's where we sort of, we, we sort of contradicting goals, right? Where one goal is to, you know, feel a competitive team and like, what are our goals if we're all Mike Rizzo? And the other is, what are the things that we have plans for as fans? And for me as a fan, I, I like Juan Soto. I want to keep rooting for him. I would love for them to pay him a lot of money. And, you know, even if they're not that good, I don't really care that much because I've got like this generational talent. I've got the memories of a World Series. And, you know, I trust them to try at least enough around this great player to, um, you know, to play exciting baseball that makes me want to watch. And I mean, Soto is the surest thing. Like, he is the surest thing in baseball to be good 10 years from now. I can't think of a player I would bet on more to be good 10 years from now than Juan Soto. Uh, I mean, just the profile, the way his skills historically have aged, like the fact that he's basically not respond, like not reliant on speed and athleticism. It's entirely on the skill set that typically ages best in baseball. Like, I don't know when Juan Soto is not going to be a good player, but, you know, obviously injuries happen to anyone. I, I just, I think if ever there was a player you would spend $400 million on sight unseen, it would be Soto. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're trying to build a competitive team now, five years from now, 10 years from now, I can't envision a scenario where the Soto contract hurts you in that effort. So I, I don't see I mean, any you reason. You would have said that about Albert Pujols and, you know, whatever Pujols year. gave you 10 Pujols great years. 30, Pujols was like 30 when he signed that contract. Yeah. I, I don't know that I would guarantee Soto be good at 40, but I would certainly feel good about him being good at 32. That's yeah. true. I mean, and, and Pujols, was, Pujols was 32 when he signed that contract. Was he really? Yes. Jesus Christ. He's 41 now. He's so old. He yeah, is. he's an old man who is actually an above-average bat for the Dodgers this year because of yeah, course he's he been pretty good. He might deserve another contract next year from someone. No, he's probably done, especially if he wins a World Series. I would think. A Hell of a way to go out. Consu- consuming yeah. a roster spot as a guy who can only hit lefties like decently well and do basically nothing else. Well, and I think the last thing we should talk about is like how. So for basically everyone who isn't Turner and Scherzer, I'll be rooting for them to do well. Uh, like it won't, bo- it won't bother me to see them do well on another team. Like if Scherzer and Turner help the Dodgers repeat while like Scherzer pitches in some of the biggest games of the, you know, the year, that might piss me off a little bit. Like I, I secretly, not so secretly, I don't know why secretly, I always hoped and sort of expected at one point that the last uniform Max Scherzer would ever wear would be a Nats uniform. And it's a little frustrating to have that not be the case. Although I, you know, from a, from a rational person perspective, I get why, but from a unrational fan, like it's a little frustrating. So, you know, I, I always thought that uh, the, the biggest moments of Scherzer's career would be as a Nat. Uh, I always selfishly thought that, you know, like we would have a monopoly on him. Uh, I know that this is, you know, dumb, irrational stuff, but, you know, it makes me a little upset to, I'm not, like, I'm not going to lie. I had a little bit of a visceral reaction seeing him wearing a Dodgers hat today. So maybe I'm alone in that. Maybe you guys are less insane than I am about dumb baseball stuff that shouldn't matter. I mean, arguably that's true regardless of our response to this. But uh, That's true of everyone, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no, the, I mean, I totally get where you come from about that. I mean, it, it's always hard to see, you know, a guy like that, your, your cornerstone of your franchise the last seven years, go to a different team, obviously. And especially go to a team that's going to contend immediately this year. And it's the odds on favorite to win the world series, large in part due to a trade you made with them. So I definitely see where you come from. I do think it being a repeat and not being sure it's his first world series and all that will probably make it less, you know, the first world series always means more, especially the way than that did it is always might be more memorable than the Dodgers repeating with a juggernaut of a roster. 
But uh, I mean, I, I get where you come from. He's still so good now is the thing. Like, like if Jason Worth had found a roster spot on the 2018 Red Sox and maybe came up with a big hit, that wouldn't – well, I don't – you know, like I wasn't irrationally attached to Worth the way I am to Scherzer. Uh, I always thought the Worth hype was kind of annoying. But like no, – Edit that out or else the rash cast will be canceled into the earth. That's yes. true. I feel like we can't afford to pitch, pick up yeah, – piss off any – nationals fandom constituency here <laughs> what with our meager ratings but uh you know i i always thought that, like it, it's just it's different because like if scherzer was a role player on a major team like that would be one thing but like he is probably the guy that they'll be asking to start like a wild card game if it happens or like a game five of the nlds if it happens and that that stinks to me. I don't know. Um, maybe this is just me, but I think this is this is what I think about when I think of the Soto conversation. I think in the history of the Nationals, besides like Zim, there's never been a guy who I've had like that level of that attachment to, or at least have been like ready for them to go. Like obviously I you know love all these guys and like have love, love, love Scherzer. But like I was ready for him to go when he went because I saw the writing on the wall. And like yeah. I I frankly having having Trey and Max on the Dodgers makes me more likely to root them root for them rather than less. Cause at least I can say like I like these guys and I'm happy for them. Whereas, you know, previously I have no emotional attachment to Chris Taylor or Kinley Jansen or whatever. Um but there's never been someone who's been like that perfect storm of like, they should be here. They should be ours. And they won't the person like Max has played for another team. And so it's not like he was fundamentally a Nat, you know, the closest player who came to this was Bryce, but Bryce never felt like he was our so much as right. he was a star who played for the nationals. Mm-hmm. And, and so it feels like the perfect mix of he's ours and he should stay. And there's every reason he should stay. And if he doesn't say that, well, I think will be what really fucks me up. Well, and I think mm-hmm. the difference between Soto and Bryce is Bryce got famous and became a household name for things he did apart from the Nats, mm-hmm. where Soto, like, the reason he's a household name now is because of, his, like, how intertwined he is with these big Nats moments. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, he feels like he was ours first and then became the world's, whereas Bryce Harper was the world's. We exactly. were renting him, and now he's in love with the Liberty Bell or whatever he, he it is. He longed to hear it ring or he something. He to hear it ring, That's right. Yeah having sex with the liberty bell he's the one who put the crack in it i don't endorse that statement (laughs) but yeah i don't know Uh, i think that's yeah and it's similar with trey too i mean i it didn't seem like you know trey is a very great talent to have on your team obviously he's a guy who doesn't seem like he'll necessarily age well because this is one of his big things is speed but who knows with him um but once it became clear that you know, they had contract negotiations. They weren't going to happen. You know, I it's okay for me to trade, from my perspective, to trade Trey. And I'm going to miss his production at the top of the lineup and whatnot. I'm not sure how much I'm going to miss him personally, but I'm going to miss, you know, who he was as a player. Because um, he was he was a great player, and he was a lot of fun to watch. But I'm I not going to lie. The anti-vax thing did help me say he, goodbye he to him. He flushed a lot of good will those last 48 hours, mm-hmm. which is Definitely, very- definitely. Like, by the time he was gone, like, good riddance almost a little bit. You know, you did give your entire team COVID, which, uh, cool for you, guy. Uh, what, what a way to go out. What a parting gift. Um, yeah. So, I think, Max, it, it's tough because, you know, going into this year, unless the Nats were going to con- – going into next year, actually, unless the Nats were going to contend next year, Max Scherzer was probably gone. Um, and, you know, they – didn't play well this year off out of the gate. Um, and so, you know, he was gone now and he probably wasn't going to resign in the off season if we did keep him for the rest of the year. So, you know, it's, it'll be weird to see him pitch in a postseason game for the Dodgers. It'll be weird to see him probably win a world series with the Dodgers, but I'm not sure if I feel like the visceral reaction. Like when I saw Dodd Scherzer in Dodgers blue, I was like, okay, I've seen him in other jerseys before he won a Cy Young with the Tigers. Yeah. I guess. I mean, and the thing is, like, if he wanted to be a Nat for life, he would be a Nat for life right now. Like, clearly that was not a thing he prioritized, and he had all the leverage. Uh, I do think his next contract will be fascinating. 
just in terms of like, I don't know what term he'll be expecting. I don't know how long he anticipates pitching. Like I, I could see him envisioning himself pitching into his forties. Uh, and there's, you know, no reason to think that he can't right now. He's not broken right now. Uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously he, you know, he was a hired gun to an extent. He was a big long-term contract, but he did make his hall of fame candidacy here. Like there were still some, like the fact that when the Nats signed him, a bunch of GMs and scouts labeled it the worst contract signing of like free agency that year. And it turned out to be maybe one of five best in history. Like, that to me made him feel a lot more like ours than if we had signed like Albert Pujols and he had continued to be great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess the difference for me is that it feels like he was ours in a very special way and that those moments like aren't diminished by him going somewhere else. Like I don't need him to, uh, I think what makes him great is the fact that like his success was entwined with team success. And so I can think very fondly on his no hitters I can think falling on his 20 strikeout game because I can also remember him starting game seven of the world series. Um, And so I don't think any of those are diminished by him leaving town when the nationals are also getting shitty. Like, I don't, I don't need to see him, you know, continue to pitch well next year, making $30 million on a team that wins 74 games. I mean, it would make the, Arts a lot more fun. It would make one of fun. Uh, and I, I agree with you. Uh, and, you know, Scherzer did say, like, I signed here to win a World Series and I did win one here. So I feel like this has been everything I'd hoped it would be, which, you know, that was why he signed here. This is a competitive team. He thought they would continue to compete. Uh, and they did. And, you know, arguably in a year that was like the signs of this were already present. The signs of this coming end of the era were already present in 2019, but they went on this miracle run. Uh, I mean, look, I think the 2019 team was a very, like it was in a, it was the second, apart from the bullpen, it was the second most talented team the Nats have ever had. Like, it wasn't a bad team, but you could see the cracks. Like you could see how we could get to where we are now from that 2019 team. Uh, You know, in the same sense that the Caps won their World Series or their Stanley Cup championship in year three of a two-year window, it did feel to that, to some extent, like like it was obviously the first year without Bryce. Uh, It did feel a little bit like they had sort of stolen one. Uh, But um i don't really remember where i was going with this which is always a good sign on a podcast i will say this the the one thing that does suck most of all is that scherzer will be the first not to be a hall of fame as that and that's the weird thing seeing him leave and still build up more of his hall of fame career case with another team yeah no i I I guess i guess i'm just i'm more enlightened than you guys and i think i guess you are to like my friend max with whom i'm personally close Mm mm-hmm I'm sorry he didn't end up going to Boston, so you couldn't room with him. Kyle Schwarber has not responded to my tweet about wanting to oh, room in. Oh, he, he's, he, he's, he's staying with me now. No, oh, come on. I'm sorry. I jumped sense. the gun a little bit. By wow, the way, this... uh, we were supposed to record this at three. We ended up not recording this at three. This is for all our listeners out there. I went and saw a movie, uh, the Stillwater movie. And I have to say, this is on topic, by the way that Matt Damon in this movie looks a lot like Kyle Schwarber. Mm. They should have just cast a Kyle Schwarber for that movie then. Yeah, well, Matt Damon's, like, southern Oklahoma accent was a lot more jarring. I feel like Kyle Schwarber could have inhabited the role a little better. Mm. Kyle Schwarber should retire from baseball and become an actor. So if he did that, we wouldn't have Aldo Ramirez, promising right-handed pitcher. No, I mean, he could do it now. No takesies, backsies. Yeah, that's fair. If he retired tomorrow, the trade would still be good. And the Nationals would still have, that's right, Aldo Ramirez. Aldo Ramirez. What can you tell us about Aldo Ramirez? 
I like Aldo Ramirez. He seems like he was very much a pop-up guy, which I'm always into. Like he came into the year like fastball 90, 92 and like good off speed and statistical performer, but nothing spectacular. And then his stuff popped this year and he started throwing, you know, 92 to 96. And he's only 20, he's still in low A. Um, but he, you know, went a little hard. He's on the DL with elbow, IL with elbow tendonitis right now, which is maybe not great, but apparently should be pitching again this year. Uh, but whenever I think about guys who pop up and then get hurt, I think of Jesus Luzardo, to whom that happened. Uh, he shot up draft franks in his draft year because his stuff really popped. He gained, you know, two, three, four miles an hour of, of fastball velocity. Uh, and then needed Tommy John and the Nationals popped him. Uh, and obviously he's, you know, he went on to be a, a highly touted prospect and now a sort of post uh, hype, like kind of bust, but hopefully still good, even if he's in Miami. Um, but that's who I think of when I think of Aldo Ramirez. So if I had to pick one guy who will like, of the, of the two who are not the leading prospects from, from these deals, uh, Aldo Ramirez is the one I would say to watch out for. You heard it what about, first. uh, what about Bailey? Uh, well, Barley, 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 Barley. Jordy Barley, Barley. Jordy Barley, who as of, let me check and see how his game is going because as of the beginning of this broadcast, he made his nationals debut by going, um, one for one with a dinger and two walks. Yeah. And now as of, uh, of live updating here, he is now one for two in this game with three walks. Um, I, yeah. I, I don't think he ever like was particularly a power hitter or an on base guy. So now maybe, he's both. We've already fixed maybe it. Maybe unlocked his abilities. They uh, mm-hmm. they whispered something in his ear, and on the first day he uh, he, he clicked. Yeah, I mean, not really. He he came into this uh, after you know sixty games at Low A with the Padres with an eleven percent walk rate and like a one forty nine ISO. So he never really did this, and now he is a. Uh, he is the Lord's perfect baseball player playing a beautiful yeah, hitting 500, uh, 800, 2000 on the day. Yeah. He blasts. Uh, he stole a base also. He has not committed an error. Uh, so I think it's fair to say that he is, a uh, he His is uniform is well-pressed clean. Uh, yeah, no, he's, he's great. He beautiful. I, I deem him perfect. He has no fault. There you go. You have the Andrew flags deem of perfect. Yeah, this is this applies to any prospect about whom I speak at length. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, and the Nets have already called up Mason Thompson, and we'll see Josiah Gray tomorrow. I'm so, like, Gray. I I do think that the sort of like prioritization of high minors to base major league ready <laughs> talent, like I don't think that's a really indication of how fast the Nets intend to proceed with the rebuild, so much as like that's who the Dodgers top prospects were like mm-hmm. they got, they got Ruiz and gray who were one and two on the, on the Dodgers top prospect charts. They just so happened to both be big league ready. Uh, yeah. I think that does say something about I think, what, what your plans have to be now because you made that trade now. And these are guys who are going to be up this year for your team and be, you know, helping your team next year. So I think that does say something about the speed of the rebuild. The fact that you do get those guys, we're up and are going to be helping your team immediately. Yeah. Whether it was the choice or not, it seems to be the case now. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, as I said before, this off season is going to be crucial uh, and we'll see when the Nets intend to next put on a competitive team. I think we'll know much better by the, this off season. Definitely. Yeah. I wouldn't be totally floored if they tried to sign, you know, a story or a Korea. Neither um, would I. It would be, story would be a good story would be, uh, I think would be, I'd rather. Have My that. personal thing that I think they should do is they should sign the Troika uh, or I don't know what the Russian word. Kershaw, Verlander, Granky yes. and Scherzer. And Scherzer. Just make a super rotation. The uh, What's that movie? The Replaceables? Yes. The no. Uh, what's the one with the. Expendables. The really old people with John Malkovich. And, Expendables. Uh, Expendables. Yeah. There we oh. go. That'd be the Nats rotation. The yeah. Expendables. But I'm, that's what I'm. That's who they could. They gotta turn. They gotta turn this team into just the oldest bastards of all time. And I think it'd be cool. Well, they did that in uh, in 2019. It worked pretty well for them. That. There we go. Go older. Yep. Yeah. Back. <laughs> all well, right. When when other teams zig, you have to zag. <laughs> <laughs>
We look, exactly take ourselves, right. look in the mirror, take a deep breath, and be older. <laughs> can we age just one sort of like 10 years then? Make him, exactly. Oh. Make him the crotchety old veteran. Put him, send him to that beach. I was about to make that joke. <laughs> Send all the natural prospects to the beach that makes you old. Johnny is <laughs> like very convinced that that all the attention that's been put on this movie, like all the people who are tweeting about it, are getting paid by whatever studio is producing it. By M Night Shyamalan. And we uh, can confirm that this the Rash Cast is, is being sponsored paid by, by M Night Shyamalan. You're sponsored by the movie Old. <laughs> in theaters now go see it folks don't worry about the delta variant go watch that beach where they get old yes i oh. think it was called the bus that couldn't slow down <laughs> all I, think right. that's all, I think that's all the time we have today um we mostly stayed you. on topic yeah yep thanks flax for joining us today we appreciate your Pleasure, insight fellas. on the prospects appreciate you having uh, me on uh, on what will be a rash cast that we won't probably be back on probably for two months. Hey, if Who they knows? creep back in, they're only six and a half back. They are only Could six happen. and a half back. I, I think there's going to be another rash cast in three weeks when it's clear that uh, Gabe Klobastis is the best reliever in baseball. Yeah. We'll do a full Gabe Klobastis. I don't even know how to pronounce his name. We'll, we'll do a full podcast on him. Well, we could get we'll get his family on the podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> Our son Gabe is a very good boy. There's no way he's Jewish. I just like to establish yeah. that. I would be extremely surprised. Maybe Greek. I don't know. I, well, let's play guess, I don't know what that is. Guess his ethnicity. A fun game <laughs> that we could play all around. Fun for Great. the whole family. Fun for the whole family. Yep. All right. Well, the the board game version of Guess's Ethnicity will be coming out soon. But until then, uh, I've been Jacob. And for Johnny and Andrew. Don't speak for me. You can speak for me. It's fine. This is my podcast. Great. All right. For Andrew Flax and Johnny Rash, I'm Jacob Rash. See you all on the Flippy File.